Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, this is Juniper Owens here, Director of the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. Also, your host for today's conversation, who we had with Robin Stone. Robin is a journalist, health coach, and therapist whose passion for storytelling, language, and expression has led her to write a book, create a documentary, and utilize narrative and expressive techniques in her work as a mental health professional. In this episode, we have a conversation around the power of storytelling and expression in mental health and wellness. We discuss her book, No Secrets, No Lies, which shares compelling personal accounts from everyday people and illuminates the emotional, psychological, and hidden consequences of remaining silent, and also provides holistic, practical steps to move toward healing. Robin also shares about her documentary, Thick, Black women weigh in on body awareness, food, stress, and self-care, featuring the stories of nearly 20 black women nationwide, including Robin herself. The film asks, how can we take care of ourselves in the face of stressors like work demands, relationship issues, cultural expectations, and taking care of others? Thick centers on healthy weight as black women contend with weight-related health concerns like heart disease, diabetes, and fertility problems in disproportionate numbers. Here are a few clips from the documentary trailer, which you can view on Robin's website. I like my curves. I like my, my, uh, my, my full bust, my thighs, my hips. It's like I've adjusted to being this size, but it's frustrating um, when I shop, when I go out. Because I could be in the store looking at clothing and, you know, it's not in your size. It's cute, it's not in your size. And then you go to the larger woman's section and the stuff is hideous. Within our culture, um, our men have said uh, in various ways that they want something to hold on to. And so we don't necessarily aspire to be um, sticks. We have to understand whether there, if there is an issue in carrying extra weight, that we deal with that. It doesn't mean that you don't love your body. I think you, could, you know, loving your body is making sure that it's healthy and well, as much as you know, liking what you see in the mirror. Lastly, we discussed Robin's work as a mental health professional informed by her history as a journalist and health coach. And at the end of the conversation, Robin shares a powerful, expressive writing exercise you can practice right now and share with your clients. Here at the Academy, we too recognize the power of language. We are currently reworking and updating our three core integrative certification course to include a social and ecological perspective and framework and some of our work in unsettling mental health. As a white mental health provider, it is vital to acknowledge the embedded white-bodied supremacy, privilege, and inherent racism that we carry in our own bodies, 
minds, and even our understanding of mental health. We hope to have the new release of the course out soon. In the meanwhile, we're looking for content providers and course reviewers to offer diverse wisdom and perspective to the conversation around integrative mental health and wellness in general. If you are interested in contributing and becoming a partner with us, please check out our website, www.academyimh.com, and under the tab about us, you will find the Partner With Us tab. Look forward to hearing from you, hopefully. And now, our conversation with Robin Stone. Robin Stone holds a Master's in Applied Psychology from New York University and a Master's in Health Arts and Sciences from Goddard College in Vermont. Incorporating transformative language arts, narrative and creative arts therapies, she uses expressive arts to help clients understand how culture influences their thinking and being. Robin supports clients coping with trauma, grief and loss, stress, and difficult couples and family dynamics. Robin is also trained as a health coach at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to help clients adopt practical lifestyle management techniques. She develops and shares great healthy recipes that support mind-body wellness. A longtime journalist and author, Robin has written and edited about mental and physical health, food, nutrition, and holistic living for more than 20 years. After completing her undergraduate degree in journalism at Michigan State University, she enjoyed a successful career as an editor and writer at a number of newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Detroit Free Press, and Essence and Health magazines. Robin, we are so glad that you're joining us today and having a conversation about um, your work. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Juniper. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I think it would be really neat to kind of dive into, it seems like you've had a quite a different career before coming in as a counselor. So you worked as a journalist and a health coach, and I think it'd be really um, interesting to hear what led you to the world of mental health and counseling. Sure. Um, well, thanks for asking. Um, I would say the the short answer is um, life happens, life circumstances. Um, I was uh, writing and editing for uh, magazines. Um, I was a wife, a a mother, um, and my husband passed. And that, um, of of course, uh, was devastating uh, to me and uh, to my family. And it, it just took uh, some time, some thinking, some soul searching um, after uh, the loss, trying to get myself together. Um, I was a single mom and just trying to figure out um, not just what I wanted to do for a living, but how I wanted to live. And uh, so it was that personal um, uh, impact as well as uh, you know, supporting someone through an illness can have a profound change on on you as well, profound effect. And so, uh, you know, after that experience, I, I and and as a writer and an editor, I focused on what's known as self help. Um, so a lot of service journalism uh, that kind of told people through telling other people's stories and bringing in statistics and quoting experts like us. Um, you know, I 
told people how to help solve their problems. And so I was kind of in this space of helping through journalism. Um, and it, it just kind of led me further down that path. I, I wanted to um, really give testimony from my own experience, from what I learned as um, a caregiver, uh, and also uh, showing, trying to show people healthier ways to live. And that's kind of what led me to um, explore health coaching. And it was really for my own benefit. Um, that's kind of how it started. How can I live a healthier life? How can I be more at peace? And through that, I, I started to you know tell people what I was doing. And so friends, uh, colleagues would ask for my support. They would refer people to me. And so I developed a coaching practice. And the, the more work that I did, the more I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, the more you know, the more you realize you, what you don't know. And I ended up referring a lot of clients to mental health professionals uh, because I recognized that my training um, did not extend enough to support them with some of the issues they were bringing up, like trauma, um, like uh, uh, eating disorders. Uh, and while, you know, as a coach, I could support people so far, I, I just knew that there were some things that were beyond my scope. Um, and so uh, after some time, I started to think, you know, well, maybe this is a way that I can help support people um, and, and be there in a more expansive way for them. And that's kind of what led me uh, to pursue uh, the, to really anchor my work in uh, clinical, uh, in a clinical background. So I uh, decided to pursue the mental health counseling uh, training at NYU. So it was a kind of a, a it's really interesting. Uh, you may see what I've done and think these are very disparate, but I see a thread through them all. And the thread is story. And I know we'll talk more about that, but, you know, from telling stories about how people cope to actually helping people discover their own stories um, and using narrative forms of uh, healing. Uh, so I see this thread of story. Absolutely. And um, I, I also see the thread of health and wellness and finding your way through that. And may I ask, now that you are working uh, on that end, so you were referring people to mental health professionals, you are a mental health professional. What have you, have you noticed or learned about health, wellness, I guess the human nature, um, the stories since, the, since you've shifted uh, to a counselor? Boy, that's a that's a big big broad question. <laughs> um, I would say uh, some of the things that I've learned um, are that um, people really respond when someone listens, uh, when someone listens deeply to them. And I I I saw that as a journalist, where you're gathering people's stories and you're asking them questions and maybe questions nobody's ever asked them. Um, and a lot of my work, uh, my book, you know, which looks at sexual abuse in Black families, um, I, I, and I, I like to say I 
would often write about issues that nobody wanted to talk about. Um, and so even as a journalist, I was asking people to tell me their stories and um, and through that, just kind of being there, um, you know, with, with no secrets, no lies, a lot of people, you know, would say this, you're the first person I'm, I've ever told, you know, what happened to me. Um, and kind of being there, being present, um, and as a mental health professional, it's it's very similar, um, except I've, you know, I have some ways to support them um, through, you know, moving through their story, moving through the trauma. Um, I have tools and techniques, uh, modalities, frameworks, um, this whole this whole tool chest of ways to support people. Um, but you know that's one of the one of the common threads is you know people they they really respond when someone listens um, and you know I'm I'm not I mean I I was psychodynamically trained I kind of gravitate more towards CBT um, however it's it's pretty amazing to when you recognize that many people just they need to. Um, they need uh, to to recreate some aspect of th their childhood did, that didn't work work out well for them, and to be able to be there and be present is pretty amazing. Um, when you see that someone, you know, you become a mother uh, for someone, and you become a, an appropriate mother, uh, and you're responding in the appropriate ways, and then to see that person just flourish is, you know, I'm, I'm still blown away when I see it happen. Um, and it, it's pretty amazing. It's pre it's just, it makes this work that we do so fulfilling. Yes, it is, isn't it? And especially when, you know, you, when you mentioned with your book, No Secret, No Lies, which is talking about um, healing through sexual abuse and, and specifically with black families. I mean, that is, I notice I have friends that work in the field of sexual abuse and they're like, you know, don't go to a party and tell people what you do for a living because everyone's eyes glaze over. Or, and I, I think that the, that silence attributes to the pain and of the trauma of sexual abuse. Um, Absolutely. Other factors. And so that, so have you always been willing to have those difficult conversations or is this some, a skill that you've, um, grown throughout the years? Hmm. Um, that's an interesting question. I, I would say it's something that, um, that I, uh, I'm an introvert and for me, journalism was a way to be out there and to engage with people, um, while not having to be fully, out there and fully, you know, as one of them, I'm, I'm behind the, the mic or behind the pen and pad. Um, and so that was a, for me, an entree into certain areas where I may not have felt comfortable going. Um, and I have, have, have been, um, you know, telling stories since high school. Uh, so on the high school newspaper, on the college newspaper. Uh, so that was kind of my, my way in. Um, so, it, it, it was a, a way to be a part of the conversation, but you don't really have to express an opinion. You get to say, well, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. 
And that's good um, attribute as a counselor as well, because it's really not about our opinions or, I mean, maybe we can share if a client, but really it's more about empowering and them to be a part of and tell their story, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about um, later when we talk about how you incorporate the narrative and storytelling into the therapeutic work. But before that, we were speaking of your book and um, you also wrote and directed a documentary and, uh, I was seeing on your website as part of your master's thesis, which focused on using narrative techniques like storytelling and writing and community to promote healing among Black women. Women, excuse me. The documentary is called Thick, which centers on healthy weight as Black women contend with weight-related health concerns like heart disease, diabetes, and fertility problems in disproportionate numbers. So I was able to watch the trailer and I was hoping to see more. (laughs) It was really neat. And it was exactly what you're talking about. People telling their story, talking about what it's like for them, these women. Can you tell us more about that project and how it informs your, your work today? Sure. Sure. Well, thick. um, it, it started as, um, actually started as a book. And I was going to write a book about um, Black women, healthy, healthy weight, body consciousness, um, and response to stressors. And I decided to gather the interviews using video, uh, I don't, as, as opposed to just audio recording. Um, and I don't know what, what led me to do that, but um, in reviewing the videos uh, for and transcribing um, you know, one of my advisors uh, at Goddard, uh, where, I, where I did this work, um, suggested that I um, consider uh, doing a, a video. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not a video, I'm a word person. I'm not a, you know, I've never done anything like that. And I, you know, just kind of rolled up my sleeves and started looking at all the women I had interviewed, I think it's 15 15 or 16 women. And, and I'm in the video, the full documentary. I had someone else interview me. Um, and, uh, and in looking at hearing these women tell their stories, I, I saw that, yeah, this, this should be, and I call it a mini documentary. It's about 40 minutes. Um, and it's really uh, organizing the women's uh, stories and experiences under a number of topics, including body awareness, body consciousness, um, uh, what we learn from our families about food, um, how we respond to stress. Uh, and in each section, a number of women share their stories. Um, and you know what I, what I realized in uh, doing that work was uh, that there's, there's so, so much that's similar uh, for for black women and looking at um, experiences related to, to race, uh, racism, um, the pressure we put on ourselves, this notion of strong black women, um, stereotypes about um, uh, black women and our bodies, and uh, what we accept and what we reject, um, re- you know, related to those experiences. And um, it was a, a really humbling experience. I found a, um, a, a journalism student at, I think she was at NYU um, and hired her 
um, as an as an editor to help me do this video because video was not my forte. And so she helped me to pull it together. She was a great editor. And um, it's something I'm very proud of. Um, the video premiered at Spelman College, um, I think it was 2015. And, uh, in t- you know, the audience listened to the women tell their stories. And in the end, we had a group uh, where we did some writing, some reflective writing from uh, what people um, picked up from the video, um, what they responded to, what resonated with them, and um, how they planned to change their story, the story of their bodies moving forward. Um, so, so the video became a part of a narrative process. And without giving it all away, well, I, uh, I, at the end in our show notes, we'll share how people can access all of the media and sure. links we're going to talk about. But what was one theme or way that you saw one of the participants um, work with that narrative? Um, someone from the audience? Yeah, or a, um, someone from the audience or maybe even a person that you had interviewed for the video. Sure. Well, it's interesting. I occasionally still hear from um, a couple of the women who I interviewed uh, for the video. And it was very interesting, just a kind of side note, going from uh, being from having this be a journalistic enterprise where the idea is you get the story. And once you've got the story, you're good. Um, And, you know, you, you, you know, you make sure to not um, offend, you know, any person who you're interviewing, um, and you kind of check in with them and follow up. But this then became um, a, a piece of scholarship. And so I had to do informed consents. I had to um, leave uh, the opportunity on the table for anyone who was in the video to change their mind. And, and that just doesn't happen. <laughs> in journalism. So it was having to grow, you know, in this, in this way that I, that it was challenging initially, um, but recognizing, um, you know, that, you know, the scholarship and be in this work that we do, the first thing we think of is to do no harm, right? And so if anybody, you know, had second thoughts, and they wanted to change their mind and, and pull their video, um, you know, they had that, opportunity. And fortunately, no, nobody did. Uh, but I, I still hear from uh, some women and they talk about what a, a wonderful experience it was to just tell their story. Um, and it helped them to think about um, some habits, some lifestyle um, decisions, some things that they could change. Um, and also in seeing it, you know, they were able to see themselves with other women and it just helped them reflect on ways that they could change their lives for the better. Wow. So the process of telling their story and being a part of this project was in and of itself healing. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and so I'm really curious because, I mean, I've heard of narrative therapy and I've had brief training with it, but other than that, I don't, I'm curious about how you weave in this like power of words and expression and storytelling in your work with clients. So for example, do you 
work with any specific modalities or theoretical frameworks, or do you just kind of do your thing? How, how, what does it look like? Sure. So I, as I mentioned, I'm, um, uh, I, I lean more toward uh, CBT. So I, I'm, you know, likely to break out uh, an REBT framework um, to, you know, work with someone and, and to, you know, help them challenge negative thinking um, uh, or to help them, you know, shift their perspective on an experience. Um, I also do um, EMDR, um, which I've, uh, I'm almost, almost at certification, um, just have to turn in everything. Um, but I find that that sort of processing um, uh, modality to be very helpful, especially for trauma, uh, for anxiety. Um, at the same time, uh, in some work, um, I find that um, we where we might be stuck um, or um, I, I don't know, it just there seems to to need to be uh, a shift, right? Um, you know I've had I have clients who you know come in and say, you know I'm feeling really good today. I don't know if I want to do EMDR <laughs> because it kind of takes them back you know, into spaces where they rather not be, even though they know um, as, as we continue the work, they get better and better and better. Um, but at times I've used um, story, I've used um, uh, journaling um, and engaging journaling and uh, encouraging a client to write about what comes up for you after this session and to, to bring it in you know, if they feel comfortable and let's explore, you know, what, what comes up and, and how you were affected by that. I mean, I've, I've even used uh, where I work, we have a sand tray room and I've even used the sand tray uh, with, you know, a particular client who was just really stuck um, in, she was getting better in through EMDR it was very clear um, and if you know anything about EMDR, you 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 give a number that kind of states how disturbing an event was. Um, and so she said, you know, she's feeling better. I'm feeling better. But she didn't want to change the number to reflect how she was feeling. And so that just, you know, told me there's something going on that she didn't want to give up that num she didn't want to shift um, this objective um, number that reflects subjectively what, what was going on for her. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we went and did some sand tray work and, um, then I encouraged her to write, to just, you know, come and do some writing about what came up from the sand tray. I took some pictures and emailed them to her. And it was amazing to see how she was able to recognize, you know, that she, um, she could only see herself one way. And, you know, doing the sand tray work and writing about it helped her to, to understand that she didn't have to be that way anymore. And so she was able to, to kind of let go of this number that she was hanging on to and um, to just kind of move through that process um, more, more uh, easily. Yeah. So that's a, that's a glimpse 
uh, of how I've, I've kind of integrated. And that's what I'll often do is integrate writing, um, uh, integrate, and it's often words um, in a women's group that I'm running right now for single women. Um, we use uh, literature and lyrics um, to, to guide us. And so, um, you know, we'll come in, we might do some uh, poetry reflecting on a poem. Our, we, we started with uh, Maya Angelou's Phenomenal Woman. And, you know, each person in the group read a, a chunk of the poem. And then we, you know, the group reflected on what that meant for them. Um, so there are just different ways to integrate, um, as I call it, literature and lyrics um, into your work. Mm-hmm. I love the, that idea. And it sounds like you do have a lot of tools in your tool belt and that you're able to intuitively sense, and maybe there's other modes of knowing that you're using, but that you, you sensed, okay, so there's something happening here. And I don't think talking is going to do the trick. Let's move to sand tray or right now let's, um, because you're absolutely right. And that your our ability to be able to shift when a client is stuck, I think is paramount in the work. And it sounds like you're able to do that really well and know when words are appropriate and then when maybe more embodied uh, practice like EMDR or sand trade might be. Sure. And that's just, that's reading your client um, and also having an expansive toolbox which, you know, I think is pretty important. Um, and so I highly recommend training, you know, what, whatever, whatever you can afford, because <laughs> uh, cost can be a prohibitive factor. Uh, but, you know, whatever is out there, whatever is available to, um, and whatever you're interested in, um, and how, however you see it, um, you know, integrating with what you already do. Um, I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about the lyrics piece, when I was working in schools with mostly middle school aged uh, preteens and teens, the song lyrics were the basically all we did in group because people really, ex- well, not all we did, but the way that you were able to express yourself in your favorite song. Yeah. And, and there's like the sense of it externalized it a bit. Yep. And it makes it safer. Is that what you noticed in yeah. this work? Absolutely. That just there's just a safety um, in having some distance, um, so so you can allow the poem or the song, the words from the song, to express how you really feel um, without putting yourself out there, and and especially in a group, um, I find that works really well. So we are we um, just did. Um, I encouraged our group members to bring in um, songs that reflected um, when, oh, self-love, bring in a song that reflects self-love. And I kind of, we, you know, everything's virtual now. So I, I was kind of, as they were talking, I was searching. So I felt like a DJ. Uh, so I was, you know, searching for the songs and I would play a snippet, you know, a little bit as, you know, once they shared why they chose that song. So it was a great uh, way to, I think we did that. Yes. As we led, as we ended our session just before New Year's Eve. So it was just a great way to end on a lively note, to play these, all these songs that were, that were all about, you know, self-love and celebration and, 
was just a, a, a high note. And that was them. You know, I just, you know, played, played them a bit of the music. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's one thing for group members to share, you know, and to share a part of the lyric that, you know, they really um, responded to, but then to play it and to hear it. Um, I just thought that was um, awesome. And I could see from their faces that they really enjoyed it and they were very engaged. Yes, I would like to do that. And what was one of the songs that you thought were just one song example? If any of us need a self-love pickup song, what was one that you thought was a good choice? Uh, yep, let's see. Um, one of the songs shared was uh, Mary J. Blige. Uh, it's called Just Fine. And it's just this beat that you can't help but get up and move to. And so it's just great, a great note to end um, our final session of the year on uh, with the group. You know, I love music. And every time I hear something hot, it makes me want to move. It makes me want to have fun. Yeah, that definitely, that sounds like it. And I'm going to have to listen to that song after we get off. (laughs) Uh, And before we move on to our final questions and kind of closing this conversation out, um, we, we spoke a little bit about some of the work that you do. And I'm just curious of how someone could work with you or even how someone that's listening might want to refer someone to you based on the work that you do and the populations that you work with. So would you, would people all over the country or the world be able to work with you and in which ways? Sure. So as a health coach, I'm able to work with people everywhere. I've had clients who were based in uh, Afghanistan. Um, I've had clients all over the world. Um, And as a therapist, I'm licensed in New York currently. So um, to do psychotherapy, my clients would have to be in New York. Um, But I encourage people to reach out um, and to see, you know, perhaps I can support them depending on their needs um, with coaching. And you can obviously, well, most of us are doing telehealth anyways, but obviously coaching, it it can be done through telehealth or video format. Yes. um, Coaching can be done through telehealth. And I should say also, um, I do lead uh, groups uh, for women uh, and sometimes mixed uh, groups uh, that um, center on writing, so writing and community. Um, so that might be another way uh, that we could work together. If not psychotherapy, then perhaps a writing group. Um, and uh, the women's group um, currently uh, is is uh, psychotherapy, but we're thinking about opening that and just expanding it. Um, so that it's more writing um, and um, less therapy (laughs) Um, so that we could expand it beyond just New York. Well, and I'm excited about that because I think at least in my region, there is a lack of group, group work, group therapy, or just group participation in general. And part of building community, I think is building community and also being seen and witnessed by that community can be really powerful. So I'm glad that that's something that you're offering. Absolutely. And, um, you know, if, if anybody's interested, they should just reach out through the website and I'm sure you'll give that information. Um, and to see, you know, what's, what's available. I also, um, will, um, as we develop programming, um, post, posted on the site, as well as um, positive psychology. 
um, associates. Um, and I think I may have mentioned that I'm developing, I mean, I have my own practice under my name, but Muse and Grace, um, which is the practice that I'm developing, is all about healing through story, culture, and community. Um, so that is what I'm developing right now. The idea was to open a space in Harlem, um, but because of COVID, that's been put on hold. So we're opening Musing Grace um, at the same site as Positive Psych Associates. Um, so yeah, people should just check in with me to see what, what we're offering along those lines. Yes. And what's in store. That's exciting. And and if you don't mind just briefly, what were, what would be happening at the expressive um, arts? What what was the title you said again? Muse, Muse and Grace. Muse. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. What would be going on there? Well, as we get the space available, we could do, we would be doing some groups in person. Uh, one of the things I want to do is a group um, title Working While Black, um, that is for uh, folks who are working in corporate environments or just workplaces that are known as white spaces uh, and need some place to come and, and connect and process some of their experiences. And we would use literature and lyrics to help to frame our discussions. So um, whatever work we do, um, ideally, we would bring in the arts, some form of expressive arts. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yes, I wish you nothing but the best in that adventure. And um, it sounds like you're not letting the COVID crisis get you down on that. And you're just rolling, rolling with it and being flexible and yeah, we're we're trying. I mean, that's one thing that we've learned uh, is that this per, this work that we do, um, even EMDR, uh, can be done remotely. Um, I've had clients who had the pulsers uh, in the office, and so they didn't think that they could do EMDR. But no, I showed them the butterfly hug. Right. Um, and as one of my colleagues, uh, who's a, a black woman, um, uh, Shakira, uh, says uh, it is the Wakanda embrace. Right. Um, so uh, just in terms of being uh, culturally relevant um, to your particular audience, there's a big difference to say in saying this is the Wakanda embrace versus the butterfly hug. So. Yeah. <laughs> That evokes yeah. something different. Yeah, that's um, Shakira Perez Jones who coined that term. I want to give her credit. Uh, yes, I, I appreciate that. And 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 as we're closing, like I think you just really highlighted the power of words. And I always like to say sometimes those that power can be corrosive, and sometimes it can be um, healing and creative. But words do have meaning, and they're imbued with meaning, and that meaning shows up in our bodies. And when you just said that, how different does that feel and sound? Yeah, that, that's really powerful. And I think as mental health professionals, we can use probably a lot of attention and intentionality in the words we use, how we approach topics and subjects with our clients. And I love that you talk about cultural, well, in social work, we call it cultural competency, but I don't think that's even enough cultural awareness, and then just asking people 
what feels right to them. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the term I'm hearing now is cultural humility Ooh. Um, to, you know, recognize that there's some things you don't know to be curious and to be humble. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that, that feels like a good kind of um, point of coming to the end and we could go on. I could hear from you, Robin, um, all day long. Well, thank you. I, and I, I love talking to you. I love talking about this work. It's very exciting and I would be happy to, I know we talked about, you know, one, um, practice, um, that I would be happy to share just to close things out. Yeah, we would love that. And so we, we try to end with sharing a tip, a technique or a practice. And one of the reasons being is because, often, and you do this too, when we go to continuing education trainings or different um, professional development trainings, you get to hear a lot. You'll sit in a hotel room or at least pre-COVID days and you just listen to someone talk and then you go back into your work and you're like, what do I do with that? And so we really uh, think it's important to have like actual practical ways to bring it into your work, but also to work to do, do it yourself. Yes. Absolutely. I would love if you share that and anything, anything else that feels like needs to be said before that? Sure. Well, I just thank you for the opportunity to share my story um, and to share, you know, this, this work and how I'm approaching this work. I'm super excited about um, what we're doing here um, in, in New York and um, I have uh, two uh, limited permittees who I've just hired. Um, to, so it's, it's humbling, uh, to be responsible for someone else's learning and making sure they get this and they get it right. Um, it's, it's super exciting, but it's also very humbling. Um, but I, um, certainly appreciate, um, the opportunity, um, to help support other mental health professionals grow. Um, looking forward to diversifying our team, um, with, uh, perhaps a male, <laughs> There are so few and far between, and to find a young Black or Hispanic male would be awesome uh, to put on our team. So, um, and, and for me, um, you know, one of the things that I do uh, is, is borrow and harvest from different um, sources. And um, one of the things I use often, one practice I use often is from uh, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And this is not a, um, you know, a, um, a clinical book. Uh, it's a book that's written for people who are searching for their creativity. They may have lost it. They may have, they want, may want to turn up the volume. And um, so this is known as a, a Bible among, you know, actors, artists, anyone who's um, striving uh, to, you know, to, to be more creative, to expand their creative output. Um, and there's a practice that's really the very first step in her, I think it's 12 weeks, this workbook, The Artist's Way. The very first step is called Morning Pages. Uh, and it's uh, when you get up in the morning, when you roll out of bed, the, one of the very first things you do, and as Cameron says, is to fill three pages with whatever stream of consciousness, whatever is on your brain. And I like to encourage people to, you know, just to, to move away from that three pages. But the idea is the same um, to just kind of put on the page what comes out. 
whatever comes. And it's, it's amazing how you can um, find that you're processing stuff that you, you know, may have had some, an argument the day before and you're, you know, what's really going on in, with you is I don't know why, you know, I, I, I hate this person or um, even I don't know why I'm writing this, this feels stupid, but to just get it out there and you will see that as you continue to build that practice, you're, you will become more reflective in your writing. Um, so, so that's one practice and um, just kind of merging another with that um, is if you don't feel like writing uh, three pages or five minutes, try six words. And I will often start with um, start groups with six word memoir, um, which is uh, it's a, a website. Um, the um, the founder of Smith Magazine, um, which is a literary magazine, started this. Uh, concept of six word memoirs. And so whatever's coming up for you at this moment, what six words reflect that? And you can start your morning pages with just those six words. And I, I will share that with groups or with a client. And the first response is, well, I'm not a poet or I don't write. And I'll say, well, just give it a try. And it's often the person who says, you know, I don't, I don't write. This feels weird. Um, you know, that, that's the person who has 10 of them after 10 minutes, you know, because they're just on a roll. Um, and it, it can be very revealing uh, what comes up for you in six words. Wow. And that for some people, the idea of writing three pages might seem daunting or what, even though stream of consciousness, I'm sure once you get started, it's hard to stop. But six words, that's really cool. I'm going to try that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like sort of a haiku, but even, even more kind of simple because you're just like, and you're also getting really to the essence of something. Absolutely. And, and people will be surprised at what they come up with in those six words. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and um, some of your story and uh, we will obviously be putting everything in the show notes. So um, all the links that we talked about, how people can contact you, your book and um, all that good stuff. Great. Thank you so much, Juniper. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for today's conversation with Robin Stone around the power of transformative language and expression. I really hope that you learned something or found something that resonated deep within you and your practice as a mental health provider. Wanted to give you a few updates. If you are interested or maybe have a client that might be interested, Robin has a new single women support group, which starts February 19th. So a couple days. And in our show notes, we have information um, for you about that group. Also, as usual, if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love your support. Please subscribe or download some episodes if you would love that. And we would love to hear from you if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, or would like to be a guest on the show. Hit us up, www.academyimh.com, or you can email us at info at academyimh.com. All right, take care and stay warm if you're in a cold area like we are, and it's currently snowed in. Bye.